The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Reflecting on the seven factors of awakening and the instructions that the Buddha offered in the Satipatthana Sutta, the instructions on the foundations of mindfulness, the instructions he offered on uh, cultivating and recognizing the seven factors of awakening. So today, the topic of the discussion is the equanimity factor of awakening. It's the last, the seventh of the seven factors of awakening. The others being starting with mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture or joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. This can be understood in a way as a kind of an arc of practice that each one supports or cultivates the next. Um, And so uh, concentration is understood to support equanimity as well as the others. Concentration is, I mean, equanimity is supported by all of the seven factors of awakening. And so the concentration that supports equanimity is a concentration that's developed independence on the mindfulness and the investigation and the, the joy and the energy and the tranquility. So it's, uh, it's not just any concentration at all that leads to the equanimity, but the concentration that's developed in, in dependence on, in particular, the beginning, wise mindfulness. So the, the wise mindfulness from a particular perspective of interest, of curiosity about what's happening in the present moment. So the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta, as we've been kind of reviewing each time about each of the seven factors, is that we're encouraged to um, get to know it, basically. Know when it's present and know when it's absent. So that first part of the instruction just encourages us to begin to get familiar with the quality of equanimity so that we can know when it's present and when it's absent. And then the other part of the instruction is to understand what cultivates equanimity and what allows it to become strong, to come to fulfillment. So I'll talk about both of, both sides of this a little bit today. Um, so the quality of equanimity, just as a, a place to begin to explore this topic, um, Describing a little bit about what equanimity is might help us to recognize it, begin to recognize it. And I'll point back to what I offered in the guided meditation as a kind of a place to begin the the discussion. Um, I said there's a way that mindfulness, that quality of just receiving experience, mindfulness doesn't mind what it receives. Its job is just to receive and um, basically to kind of allow us to know what's happening. And so mindfulness, it's, mindfulness doesn't mind what's happening. And that quality of not minding is 
heading in the direction of equanimity, a quality of the mind that is okay, that what is happening is happening. So there's some other flavors of um, or descriptions, words that might be used to um, describe equanimity. Balance of mind is another flavor uh, that, that could be used, another word that could be used. No matter what's happening in our experience, there's a, a, a sense of balance, a, pl- a, a kind of a sense that there's a stability and, uh, again, an okayness, another word that might be used, an okayness. The Pali word for equanimity that's used for the enlightenment factor is upeka. Um, but there's another word that's often uh, used, especially in the, the commentaries, to describe equanimity. And, and it's a more descriptive term in some ways. Um, the, the Pali word is kind of long. It's tatra majatata. <laughs> I'll... I'll uh, I'll write that into the chat in a little while. Um, Tatra Majatata, which literally means something like standing in the middle. So that's, that's very evocative of balance, right? You know, you're, there's, there's a lot going on and there's a kind of the capacity to stand in the middle of it and not be like buffeted around by it. So standing in the middle. The, the, sometimes we might think of equanimity as being a place of real quiet or calm, but this really brings in, no, you can be in the middle of a lot and still have that balance of mind. The, one of the teachings around equanimity uh, is that there are these worldly winds and, you know, we can think of perhaps standing in the midst of the worldly winds, standing in the midst of the hurricane of the worldly winds of praise and blame, gain and loss, fame and disrepute and pain and happiness. And there's a kind of a, a sense, an understanding that these are going to visit us. These are the winds of life and Sometimes we'll have praise, sometimes we'll have blame. Sometimes there'll be gain, sometimes there'll be loss. And that it's not particularly um, uh, I guess I, I, I won't say it's not a problem, but it's, it's, um, it's just an understanding that this is the condition of a human life. It's not, it's not um, we're not necessarily to blame, in a sense, for these worldly winds. There's a teaching story, um, a story of the Buddha where uh, somebody came to, um, well, I think it was, I don't remember if it was one of the monks or the Buddha himself. And, oh, I think it was that somebody came to, to the kind of the, the collection of monks and asked a question of, of one of the monks and the monk decided to be silent in in response to the question and another time and, and that person went off and said these monks they don't talk they don't teach they don't give any information and then somebody else came back to the monks and and asked a question and the monk elaborated this long exposition and the the person went back and said these monks just talk too much 
And another person came and, and the person kind of gave a, a middle length discourse. And the person says, I wanted more or I wanted less. And the Buddha said, you know, there's no way to avoid when hearing this. You know, he said, there's no way to avoid the praise and blame. It will happen. We, there's, there's, there's no, no person is, is immune from that play, praise and blame, including the Buddha. The Buddha experienced praise and blame. The difference is the standing in the middle, the capacity to be unmoved or not mind, maybe, you know, not mind the praise and blame. So that balance of mind, non-reactivity to what is happening. This is what's happening and the heart can hold it. It's not pushed or pulled around. Some other words, um, non-contentiousness, impartiality, ease with what is. It is not, there's something that it's not, indifference or apathy or not caring. Um, you know, that, that, um, that, that we could say that's the near enemy of equanimity, that quality of not caring or indifference or apathy. It's, it kind of approximates, it, it looks like it might kind of sort of be equanimity, but it's not connected. It's, it's got a um, kind of a detachment uh, there is a kind of a detachment with equanimity, but it's not a an indifferent detachment. It's a detachment from reactivity. It's not a detachment from what's happening. But sometimes people talk about, you know, the the mind of someone who's awakened is detached or um, uh, not affected, and and yet not affected doesn't mean that we don't feel it and feel it deeply. And so this quality of equanimity is not a um, kind of indifferent, um, kind of zoned out place. It's very much connected to standing in the middle, aware of what's happening and not reacting. So that sounds, you know, it can sound kind of counterintuitive or it might feel in a way like, well, if I cared, you know, so we can care and yet not react or not feel pushed, pulled around by what's happening. We can care deeply. So it's not not caring. But sometimes, you know, people might hear this teaching about ease with what is, acceptance, impartiality, and think it means not caring or feel like, gee, if I'm in that space, it would mean I don't care. And so this is this is a little bit of an exploration for us to begin to kind of tease apart or get curious about the difference between this quality of the mind that can be with what is, be aware, be connected, fully meet whatever is happening and not feel like there's either a problem that I have to fix or solve or 
or um, something I have to hold on to. And yet there can be with equanimity, um, the movement to act. So sometimes we might think that equanimity also means non-action. Again, the words of ease with what is might sound like, well, then I don't have to do anything or I don't have to act. But the heart that has this equanimity is a heart that is, it's not constricted. It's not blocked in by reactivity. It's not shut down in not caring. And so it's kind of this interesting place of a heart that is feeling what's here and perhaps potentially even moved to act, but not out of reactivity, not out of greed, not out of aversion, not out of delusion, but to act out of compassion, of wisdom. That can be a little counterintuitive, what it might mean to act out of compassion and not have anger. We might think if there's a you know somebody who's suffering in the world and uh, you know some injustice being done, that the anger would have to be a part of that experience in order to act, but it doesn't actually. There can be this sense of this is not right. This is not. Um, a helpful thing for the world, our community, the people involved. And so there can be the movement to act out of compassion, perhaps actually act out of compassion, both for a perpetuator, a perpetuator of violence and for the recipient of that violence. And understanding that it is harmful not only the harm for the recipient, you know, the, the person who's who's obviously suffering, that would that would might be the first place that that the action would would connect is with that person, to support that person, to care for that person, to help that person. But that very action of supporting and helping and caring for that person also can have the effect not necessarily directly, but can have the effect of preventing somebody else from doing harm, which is a compassionate action for that person who is, is, is engaged in creating harm. So equanimity can be a very vibrant and connecting emotion that kind of allows the heart to respond rather than to react, to be responsive, skillfully responsive, beautifully responsive in the world. So um, that's a little bit about the quality of equanimity And, you know, the kind of the beginning to recognize it, you know, we can start to recognize it in little bits and pieces, potentially, like I suggested in the guided meditation, that when we touch into this quality of wise mindfulness, this mindfulness that is okay with what is, the flavor of equanimity is in there, the flavor of that okayness. And so sometimes we can step into or open to 
What is it like to be aware of something? Not just the awareness of the experience. There's the two, there's two sides of experience. There's, there's the thing that we're aware of. And that may be pleasant. It may be unpleasant. It may have, you know, there may be an emotion or a mood or a body sensation that's pleasant or unpleasant. And so we're aware of that. And often that's the more obvious side of the experience. The pleasantness, the unpleasantness, the sensations, the reactivity, whatever is going on. That's often the most obvious side of the experience. And so it draws the attention. And we may not be as aware that of the awareness itself, of that quality of the mind that, oh, there's a, there's a part of the mind that knows this. And that uh, what we're cultivating, the kind of mindfulness we are cultivating is this kind of mindfulness that's just curious about what's happening in the present moment. Cultivating a non-judgmental, non-reactive capacity to meet experience. And so we can begin potentially to get interested in, well, what is it like to be aware of this unpleasant thing or this pleasant thing? What is it like to be aware that there's frustration arising in the mind? What is it like to be aware that there's aversion? When I first kind of discovered this, it's like the, well, I don't know if it was at first, the first time, but it was one of the first times that it really became clear to me the difference between noticing the awareness and noticing the object. I was noticing aversion. I was feeling painful experience in the body and noticing a lot of aversion. And then at some point, um, I kind of got curious about, well, okay, there's aversion happening and aversion is known. You know, there's awareness of aversion. What is it like to be aware of the aversion? And in that shift or in that kind of exploration, the mind kind of, the, the experience that was predominant shifted from being the unpleasantness of the aversion to a kind of a neutrality of the observing. It was a little bit startling. Is it that like the, the unpleasantness of the aversion didn't disappear, but that what was predominant in the mind was the neutrality of the observing. It was okay. It was not a problem. It was just knowing what, what is. And so that kind of stepping into or kind of getting a taste of the not minding, I use that phrase in the, in the guided meditation. Mindfulness doesn't mind. That's a kind of a funny phrase, but mindfulness doesn't mind what's happening. And that, that phrase came to me. Um, I was thinking this morning about a dear friend of mine who, uh, well, she was a, a really wonderful practitioner, had a lot of capacity for concentration and really understood so much. And um, um, she died probably about 10 years ago. And at one point, I got this little teaching from her. She said, you know, the feeling of equanimity, the difference, it's, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's the difference between I don't care and I don't mind this. Just that, that there's a shift, the shift that, that I don't care is that, that more indifference. I don't mind this. That's, there's a kind of a, a feeling perhaps of stepping into a, 
a spaciousness or a relaxed quality of heart there. I don't mind this. It doesn't mean that we have to like it. That's, that's an important distinction. You know, this, this equanimity isn't about saying, yes, I like this. It's kind of, it's, it, it feels kind of paradoxical at times. Like, I don't mind this. I don't mind this. So that kind of recognizing equanimity, noticing when it's there, maybe we can begin to get little tastes of it. And then noticing when it's not there. You know, when is the mind not okay with things as they are? That itself can begin to step us into being okay in a paradoxical way. You know, one of the the most powerful ways to cultivate equanimity is to notice what's in its way. Notice what keeps us from having that sense of balance. So can we be mindful, aware that the mind is not okay and it's that it is reactive that it has judgment as soon as we can become aware of that it's like that's what i was saying kind of earlier can the container get bigger i think i used that phrase in the guided meditation if you're you know noticing something challenging maybe the container can be a little bigger and so there's something happening and i don't like it can the container get bigger? And it's like, okay, the container now, the, med- the mindfulness knows this is happening and I don't like it. Maybe there can be an okayness with that. Sometimes when I've been uh, uh, practicing that kind of shift, it does, it does feel like it creates a, a broadening or a more space in the mind around what's happening. Um, and the, the, the sense of, oh, it's okay that I don't like this. And then there can be, again, the sense of there's okayness with the not okayness. Sometimes we might notice, and for me, this is, um, this is almost a little signal like that I need to step back a little bit. Um, when I find myself in meditation, trying to figure out how to pay attention to something in order that it will change, you know, kind of like, you know, it's, it's like a, there's some belief in the mind, like there's something wrong here because this, it feels like a problem. So sometimes it's even like trying to make the container bigger or it, it's, it's paradoxically trying to find how to be aware of this. And when I notice that, it's like, oh, what's happening is I'm trying to find the equanimity, you know, so, so just kind of recognizing, trying to figure out how to pay attention to this, that itself creates the conditions for the mind to kind of relax. It's like, oh, that's what's happening. So this, this kind of exploration around noticing what's in the way of the equanimity Noticing, studying imbalance. And I'd say in general for for wholesome qualities of mind, whatever wholesome quality of mind um, uh, you're kind of interested in exploring or cultivating, whether it's patience or or love or generosity or 
um, tranquility or equanimity, getting familiar with its opposite is a great way to begin to move in the direction of cultivating the quality. And so this this, um, instruction in the Satipatthana Sutta is understand what cultivates equanimity. So what cultivates this quality of mind? So it's counterintuitive to to, uh, hear that noticing the opposite of equanimity is kind of where we step into the beginning of cultivating equanimity. Noticing it with this kind of mindfulness, though. It's not just not just noticing it and, and like being whipped around by it, but it's kind of, can we bring that, that interest? Well, this is what it's like to be reactive. This is what it's like to be reactive. And maybe taste that sense of a broader container. Taste that sense of, oh yeah, it can be okay. So as we explore being aware of reactivity, there's kind of a few things that we see that contribute to the cultivation of equanimity. The first is that, you know, we might begin to recognize that there's some kind of reactivity happening and there's the kind of, okay, I can know it. I can be with it. Even as we're feeling all of the, the difficulty of that reactivity or the stress or the, dif- the the unpleasantness and the suffering of that reactivity. We can be aware of it. And there is a sense potentially of maybe just a little bit of space, maybe not like feeling like everything's okay, but just, yeah, I can be aware of this. Even that, it, it feels like there's a, maybe a little bit of space or a little bit of lubrication uh, with the challenge, something like that. So that's, that's beginning to, instead of being caught by the reactivity, we can know it. And so this, we, we may begin to taste the difference between being caught by reactivity and being not caught. And, and that not caughtness is moving in the direction of equanimity. So we can appreciate, yeah, that's happening, and, and I'm not caught by it. That exploration between caught, caught, caught and not caught has been a really helpful one for me in terms of my reactive patterns. It's like a simple, it's a simple exploration. It's like, yeah, that thing's happening, and I'm caught by it. Or that thing's happening, and I'm not caught by it. It's not like there has to be a lot of detail of, all the experience, all the sensations, all of the thoughts and emotions that are going on. It's just like, wow, that big messy thing is happening and I'm stuck or not stuck. So just a very simple kind of check-in around that can be really helpful or just acknowledgement. I found at one point looking at a pattern of depression using that. This was at at, uh, at the, the monastery in Burma. Uh, looking at a pattern of depression, just use this simple check, you know, that's like, yep, the depression's here. Oh, I'm caught by it. Yeah, it feels like it's a problem. Or suddenly it's like, oh, it's here and it doesn't feel like a problem. Just noticing the difference between caught and not caught began to help the mind to move more towards the not caught. 
and also to, to, to have a more fluidity around the not caught. I mean, around the being caught, because as soon as I would notice that the mind was caught, then the, the not caught would become apparent. And so it kind of like, instead of being caught for hours, it would be like, I'd notice that I was caught and then it would go away. And it's like, oh, and not caught is happening. And, and so I just began to notice a kind of a rapid fluctuation between those two. It was a little bit dizzying at times to notice that, that fluctuation. But again, just a really simple chat, caught or not caught. And then the other piece that I began to explore, which is really useful uh, around a pattern, this is a little bit separate from the equanimity cultivation, but, but just to begin to notice when that pattern of depression was gone, not happening. So, you know, so this is a general useful instruction for reactive patterns. Notice when it's present and whether there's caught or not caught around it. And that's kind of the, the not caught flavor is, is, is approaching equanimity, but then also to recognize when it's not happening. So I began also to, to notice the, when the depression wasn't there. And that's, that's not what we tend to think about, you know, in terms of, being aware of something, we don't tend to notice what's not here. We tend to notice what's here. But over this exploration of caught, not caught, I began to recognize too, sometimes we notice like the moment that something goes away. And that began to show me like, oh, oh, it's not here. And then I began to be kind of more aware of, oh, it's, it's not here, just in the middle of it not being there, not seeing it disappear, but just kind of becoming aware, oh, yeah. I'm not depressed right now. Gee, I thought I was always depressed, but I'm not depressed right now. Um, so that's also a useful, a useful skill in looking at these reactive patterns. But to, to kind of notice that, that difference between caught and not caught is a, a really helpful beginning exploration around equanimity. And we also start to see in that movement between caught and not caught. We start to see how the mind is participating in the being caught. You know, what it's doing in there, what it's believing. You know, as I saw this pattern of depression, it's like the, 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 the caught stuff, you know, and again, and I, I, as I said, this is a simple exploration. I wasn't trying to find these things, you know, so the, the, the kind of exploration around caught, not caught can open to seeing sometimes how that shift between caught and not caught happens. Some beliefs that come up, ideas of this is a problem. You know, they can be really simple beliefs like this. It's a problem that I'm depressed. Oh, I'm always going to be depressed. Or um, this is this is how I've been for so much of my life. It's never going to go away. You know, that kind of belief kind of hooks us into the, the caughtness. And so sometimes we see some of those patterns. And so we might start to see what is, how our mind is participating. Some of those beliefs we might recognize as just, um, uh, yeah, just kind of um, not valid when they're seen, some of those beliefs, those deep beliefs that we have, when we, we start to really see what the beliefs are, we recognize, well, that's, I don't even really believe that. Consciously, I don't believe it. In my intellectual head, I don't believe it. Some part of me seems to believe this though. But sometimes that seeing of those beliefs can help create or open a door to recognize that it is a belief, 
rather than just truth. And so the caught kind of depends in some ways on taking it to be true. When we're caught by it, it's like we're really believing it. And when we can recognize, oh, it's just a belief, that can, again, create the conditions for a little bit of that space, a little bit of that movement towards equanimity. And then sometimes we notice when that um, the whole pattern goes away. Maybe noticing, like in, in my example, the depression and the reactivity all falls away. And in that moment, the sense of a release and, a, and that kind of taste of non-reactivity, not even non-reactivity there. It's like the need for reactivity has gone away. It's just the spacious quality of mind that's, that's with experience. And so we, we notice the, the release at times through this exploration of being aware of the reactivity. Sometimes we might notice um, like with, with a reactivity around a physical experience, a, a physical unpleasant experience, the um, we might notice the pain, like we cut ourselves with a knife or something. And there's, you know, the aversion to that, the, the, there's the physical unpleasantness, and then there's the aversion to it, the, the mind whipping itself around, around, how could I have been so stupid? Or this is a problem because I've got this thing I need to do. And now I have to go to the emergency room and get my finger sewed up. And how am I going to cancel that thing? So the mind kind of goes off into its, its, its proliferation and gets caught by this, um, this reactive. So there's aversion, there's reactivity to the physical experience. So in, in that case, when the reactivity falls away, the um, unpleasant experience doesn't fall away. You know, it's like that the, the pain, the, the physical uh, discomfort of the cut doesn't go away. But we can, we can see that, you know, the kind of the shift there, we see what is the difference between a mind that is reactive to physical unpleasantness and the mind that is not reactive to physical unpleasantness. This is described in the the sutta on the um, the dart, the dart, uh, where the Buddha talks about essentially the difference between the mind of somebody who's awakened and the mind of an ordinary person. He says an ordinary person, when they're they have physical pain, they react to it. You know, woe is me! It's a problem. What am I going to do about this? Have resistance, have reactivity, have stress about that physical pain. And he says, when somebody who's awakened experiences physical pain, experiences that physical unpleasantness, whether strong or, you know, no matter how strong it is, they just experience that physical unpleasantness and pleasant sensation. They don't have that reactivity. And he talks about that, that physical unpleasantness is like the first, uh, it's like a, a being struck by a dart. It is painful. There is that pain. The uh, mental reactivity is a second dart. He said, we, it's like we pick ourselves up, pick up an arrow and stab ourselves with the second dart after that first experience. And so we start to see this as we observe equanimity, as we observe reactivity, we start to see that it's our minds that are doing the reacting and that that is optional. The pain itself may not be optional. The unpleasant sensation may not be optional, but the reaction to it is optional and it's created by our minds. It's created by our habits. It's created by our conditioning. It's not 
you know, something that we necessarily um, decided to do, but it has been conditioned. And so as we see that conditioning unfolding, so this is, you know, kind of what we learn as we um, observe reactivity with mindfulness, as we see the conditioning unfolding, as we can kind of see how the mind is participating in the movement towards reactivity. I'd say as the mind sees its participation, it's more as the mind itself sees its participation. The mind itself kind of, because it it wants to ultimately, our, our system, our organism wants to move in the direction of well-being, of not suffering. When the mind understands its own participation in its own suffering, the mind begins to figure out how to let it go. It begins to release those patterns and those habits. This takes time. It's not a quick thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a long process, but it does happen. The transformation does unfold. So we, we could say in a way that our entire mindfulness practice really heads us in this direction of cultivating the equanimity. The mindfulness itself, the way we practice mindfulness it is a cultivation of equanimity and it moves us in that direction inevitably. And we can, we can strengthen the equanimity by beginning to recognize it when it's present and when it's absent. There's a few more um, supports for equanimity um, that I don't have time to talk about today. Um, uh, maybe I'll just I'll bring it in next next time. The kind of the the kind of the the cultivation of equanimity with um, um, bringing in wisdom. I'll just mention them now. You know, bringing in wisdom, kind of using wisdom reflections to support the balancing of the mind, and also um, to reflect on karma. That's a big topic, so I definitely don't want to try to do that in three minutes. <laughs> Um, so I'll, 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 I'll talk about those next time, a little bit more about the cultivation of equanimity. So there's a couple minutes, so any um, questions or comments? And Melissa, is that a request to ask a question? Okay. Hi. I have a question about... Uh, the near enemies of equanimity, I know indifference, you spoke a little bit about it, but I find sometimes in my experience, another near enemy for me anyway, is resignation. Mm. It's like, I'm accepting, but there's a quality to it that just is kind of negative, a slightly a taste of negativity in there. It's not truly. So I just was curious if you had encountered that. I, I definitely. And I think that is a good, a good, um, uh, addition to the the list of possible um, uh, near enemy flavors of of equanimity. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of is like, oh, it's it's kind of like the whatever. <laughs> you know, it's got that kind of flavor to it. It's like I can't do anything about this. So there's a, a feeling of um, yeah, kind of almost like collapse or something. Sometimes that feeling of collapse around what is. Uh, sometimes that the, the 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 there's a description in the suttas of worldly equanimity or the equanimity of the ordinary person. Um, 
uh, is the equanimity of not knowing, you know, kind of like the, the kind of the sense of um, equanimity because uh, we don't have the, the, the full information in a way. And, you know, sometimes with that, so that's the kind of equanimity, that's the kind of uh, near enemy I was talking about is, was more just the kind of, whatever, you know, or, or, you know, it's, it's not affecting me or, you know, so kind of some of the, the ways we might relate to, to news um, about something that happened at a distance or something, Um, you know, it's like, oh, oh, gee, that's terrible, but there's not a real feeling of real connection. Um, But then there's the kind of um, the resignation, which is, it doesn't feel like, it, it it doesn't feel like I don't care, but it feels like it's too big. I can't. There's nothing I can do. So it, there's. I think there's a there's a little aversion in that, in, in a way. So there's a, a there's a little bit of aversion in the resignation, but it's it's kind of in the same terrain. Although I think the the, um, the indifference is much more of a neutral feeling in a way. It doesn't quite have that kind of collapse feeling. So in that place where you talk about the resignation there, you might also be curious about the unpleasant quality there and the, the aversion there, the kind of like not wanting to be in that space, because there is, I think, a little bit of that quality in there too, of the, of the aversion side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.